Obadiah. So, introducing Obadiah. If you've got your Bibles, make sure you're there. Obadiah, chapter 1. Only one chapter. Wait a second, right? Look with me, Obadiah, verse 1. Obadiah, verse 1. Let's read it. Follow along as I read. The vision of Obadiah, the vision of Obadiah, thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a rumor from the Lord, and an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise ye, and let us rise up against her in battle. Behold, I have made thee small among the heathen. You are greatly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You that dwell in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, Who shall bring me down to the ground? Though you exalt yourself as the eagle, and though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, says the Lord. If thieves came to you, if robbers by night, how are you cut off? Would they not have stolen till they had enough? If the grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave some grapes? How are the things of Esau searched out? How are his hidden things sought up? All the men of your confederacy have brought you even to your border, even to the border. The men that were at peace with you have deceived you and prevailed against you. They that eat your bread have laid a wound under you. There is none understanding in him. Shall I not in that day, says the Lord, even destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of the Mount of Esau? And your mighty men, O Timan, shall be dismayed to the end that every one of the Mount of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. For your violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. In the day that you stood on the other side, in the day that the strangers carried away captive his forces, and foreigners entered into his gates and cast lots upon Jerusalem, even you were as one of them. But you should not have looked on the day of your brother, in the day that he became a stranger. Neither should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. Neither should you have spoken proudly in the day of distress. You should not have entered into the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Yea, you should not have looked on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor have laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. Neither should you have stood in the crossway to cut off those of his that did escape. Neither should you have delivered up those of his that did remain in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen. As you have done, it shall be done unto you. Your reward shall return upon your own head. For as you have drunk upon my holy mountain, so shall all the heathen drink continually. Yea, they shall drink and they shall swallow down, and they shall be as though they had not been. But upon my holy, upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness. And the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. And the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau for stubble. And they shall kindle in them and devour them, and there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken it. And they of the south shall possess the mount of Esau, and they of the plain the Philistines, and they shall possess the fields of Ephraim and the fields of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. And the captivity of this host of the children of Israel shall possess that of the Canaanites, even unto Zarephath. And the captivity of Jerusalem, which is in Sepharad, shall possess the cities of the south. And saviors shall come upon Mount Zion to judge the Mount of Esau. And the kingdom shall be the Lord's. All right, so we just read 
21 verses worth of Obadiah. And our goal is just to get an introduction to the book, to get a snapshot of the book in one glance, and then we'll take several weeks through December to work through it. So, we talked through a lot of this a couple weeks ago, but let's just at least review it. Um, It is, by some estimates, the least popular book of the Bible. Remember, we talked about that. Part of it's because it's short. Part of it's because it's a message that's often considered foreign to us. It's talking about some foreign nation from 1,500 years ago. It's a little bit confusing. Um, But it's also the shortest book in the Old Testament. It's only about 440 words in Hebrew, and that only makes up about 0.07% of the entire Hebrew Old Testament, which is around 611,000 words. So that's pretty interesting. Just found some of these facts helpful to kind of get a glimpse of the size of Obadiah. Um, So compared to other short books in the Bible, there's there's several other short books that are like one chapter long. The rest of them are in the New Testament. We have Jude that's just a little bit longer. It's about 461 words. And then Philemon, 2 John, and 3 John are all shorter than Obadiah. And 3 John is the shortest. It's only got about 219 words. So that's pretty interesting, I thought. But then it's also interesting. Obadiah is the only Old Testament prophet who does not spend at least some of his time denouncing or pronouncing judgment against Israel, God's own people. The entire oracle is against a foreign nation. So that's interesting. That's an interesting observation. Oh, you're good. Um, So let's look, let's start by looking at the outline. Here's kind of a little bit of an outline of the book. It pretty nicely divides the first half of the book, verses 1 through 16, are talking about God's vengeance that's coming upon Esau. And you see several reasons that God gives that this judgment is coming upon Esau. And it provides some description of what kind of judgment is coming. So maybe you notice some of that. Did anyone notice? What are some of the reasons that judgment is coming on Esau? Anybody notice a reason? John? They mistreated their brother. Who was? Yeah. Isaac? Um, And more specifically, just uh, like... um It's true. Yeah. So when when Judah was being captured by Babylon, Edom assisted in the destruction of Jerusalem and of the of the land. And they also, they did, they mistreated some refugees and stole from them and took their land, etc. Yeah, it's good. Okay, and then, so then the kind of the transition or the hinge verse, verse 15, goes from just this judgment on Edom, but then it zooms out. Did you notice that in verse 15? Who does it say the day of the Lord is coming upon? It's near upon whom? Yeah, all nations. There's coming a day of judgment in which not just Edom is going to receive judgment, but all nations will undergo judgment. And the standard by which he says they will be judged, he says, as you have done, it shall be done unto you. 
your reward shall return upon your own head. We'll come back to that concept. That's important. The justice that will be meted out. But so that's kind of our outline. Then it transitions and talks about God's victory for Jacob, for his covenant people of Israel. All right. So then, let's see. Let's talk about the author of the book. We talked about this last time, um, but did anyone notice? Who is the author of the book? Dominic? That's it. We see that back in verse 1, right? The vision of Obadiah. What? I know. Hey, I like to give some nice soft pitch ones every once in a while. Yeah, it's Obadiah. Does anyone remember what did Obadiah's name mean? Dominic, you remember? Okay, not that. Yeah, that's it. Servant of the Lord. Nice. Using your resources. Did you remember that? Yes. Well done. That's it. It's servant of the Lord. I knew it had something to do with the Lord. Yes. That's right. So Obadiah, that Yah at the end, that's the shortened form of the name Yahweh, which was God's personal, which is God's personal name. So then Obed, that first part, is from the Hebrew word avad, which means to serve. Um, So it means servant of the Lord, which that's kind of interesting, isn't it? Um, Did you know actually several of the prophets, a number of them were called servant of Yahweh? Mr. Peter? Oh, let's see. Yeah. There's actually named Obed. Yeah. Yeah, let's see. That's back in uh that's back in Ruth, isn't it? At the end of the genealogy. Yep. Boaz begat Obed. That's it. Uh, yes, David's grandfather. So that would be the same word, really, servant, right? I don't know for sure. Yeah, I don't know the etymology. It's spelled similarly. It's got an extra letter after the first one, but I don't know for sure. We'd have to look it up. So maybe that was that guy's name, just servant. Yeah, and it's interesting because we talked about this last time, but... There are a number of guys who are named Obadiah. Um, By some estimates, there's about 13 in Scripture. Because there was, remember, one of the prominent ones is in 1 Kings 18, the servant who was in Ahab's court. Remember wicked King Ahab and his wicked wife Jezebel? Remember that? And there was this guy named Obadiah who harbored, he protected a number of prophets, true prophets of the Lord. He hid them in a cave and he was feeding them. Do you remember that? Kind of an off-the-cuff story. That guy's name was Obadiah. He's one of the most prominent ones. There's one of David's descendants is named Obadiah. And then I have a whole list of them. So you could go and look some of these up. If you want the list, I can give it to you. But I find that interesting. But what details did we get right here in the book of Obadiah about who Obadiah is? Basically nothing. Basically nothing. All we know is that he's a servant of Yahweh and that he was a prophet. James? He could have lived during the 
Yeah. Yeah. So we'll talk about Dayton in a couple minutes, but I think you're exactly right. That's about the main clue that we get. He's a servant of the Lord. He's a prophet of the Lord. And he lived around the time of the Babylonian captivity when they captured Judah, which was around 586 B.C. John? He was. There we go. That's right. Well done. So, but I did want to do this. Look at verse 1. He says, the vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. And then again in verse 4, he says, from there I will bring you down, says the Lord. And again, verse 8, shall I not in that day, says the Lord. And then again down in verse 18. For the Lord has spoken it right at the end of the verse. Do you see that? So this is essential. We talked about this in our introduction to the prophets several weeks back. But a prophet serves as an authoritative spokesperson on behalf of God, such that the words that the prophet is speaking are as the very words of God. His words are inspired. Remember that? So it's not just someone who's telling. It's not just someone who reads the Bible like a preacher who reads the Bible and then tells what it says, but they are giving new revelation from God that was previously unheard. Does that make sense? Kind of that distinction? That's important. But then we come and we've got to talk about the audience of the book. Because remember, every book, it's written in a historical setting. So we've got the author. We need to understand who is the audience. Who is the book written to? Did anyone notice? Did we get any clues in the book? Elise? Edom. That's it. We've got Edom. See that back in verse 1, he says, Thus says the Lord concerning Edom. So Edom is one of the audiences of the book. They're supposed to hear these truths from God that judgment is coming because of their mistreatment of Israel, of Judah in particular. And it's, it's supposed to affect the way that they live. That would be the goal. Um, it comes up also, verse 2, he talks about, I've made you small among the nations. You're greatly despised. Um, and verse 10, he says, For your violence against your brother Jacob. For your violence against your brother Jacob. We're going to kind of come to this, but why does it talk about against your brother Jacob for Edom? John? Exactly. That's exactly it. They're the descendants from Esau, who was indeed the brother of Jacob. Does anyone know what the word Edom means? It's a Hebrew word. Mr. Peter? Does it mean red? It does. And you don't have to know Hebrew to find that out. Let's take our Bibles back. We're going to spend some time back in Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25. As you're going there, it does indeed mean red. Um... Oh, and I did, while you're going there, I want to show you something cool. So Mr. Peter, you asked a couple weeks ago what language ancient Edom spoke. Uh, this is called the Meshah Stella. So this is from Moab. This is from ancient Moab, the Moabites. Let me show you a map so that you've kind of got it in your mind. And look at that. Can you see my cursor? So here is Edom in green. Up here to the north of Edom is Moab, but then over here 
up in the north part of this map on the other side of the Jordan River. This is Israel. This is the land of Israel. So they're all neighboring countries right there. And what's interesting, let me go back to the Stella, to the Mashah Stella. Um, so they have uncovered several um, ostracas. They've uncovered a seal from ancient Edom. Um, I don't remember. I have the name of the tell, but I am not good at pronouncing it. Tell el Khalifa. So they uncovered it at Tel el Khalifa. They uncovered this seal. And what it shows is the Edomites used a script very similar to the ancient Hebrew and the ancient Moabite script. So it is their own language, but it's very similar to ancient Hebrew and ancient Moabite. I just thought that was cool. So not that you can see it. This is small enough that you can't see it. But if you've ever seen biblical Hebrew, it looks a lot like biblical Hebrew. So, I, but I couldn't find a picture of any ancient Edomites, so I'm sorry. I couldn't even find a picture you know, that I would be able... I looked for pictures that were legal for us to use first, but I couldn't even find an illegal picture, so sorry. Bum. I know. We, we couldn't even find one. My guess is there isn't a lot remaining in the language. Yeah, I think uh, not much remaining in the language. Safe guess. Yeah. yeah, considering this prophecy, maybe there's not much remaining of Edom. Good point. Okay, so we're back in Genesis chapter 25. Let's kind of pick up the story. But before we even get to Genesis 25, somebody help me remember. What do we know about the Abrahamic covenant? Isaac? Uh, it was basically the covenant of where this was where God promised Abraham just that like his descendants would be spread among the nations. Mm-hmm. And basically that like also that like Israel would bless all the nations. And also just that like any nations that curses Israel will be cursed, but then any nation that blesses Israel will be blessed. That's right. So they're going to have many descendants, Abraham is. Um, They're going to be a great nation. God's going to make them a blessing among the nations. And anyone who blesses Israel will be, well, Abraham and his descendants will be blessed. And anyone who curses them will be cursed. That means anyone who mistreats them is going to face the cursing, the justice, the judgment of God. That's pretty applicable as we come to Obadiah. So remember, Abraham, God shows him. He says, Abraham, go into the land that I'm going to show you. So Abraham goes with his wife, Sarah, and God blesses Abraham and Sarah with a son in their old age. Remember that? Abraham's about 100 and Sarah's 90. What was that son's name? Isaac. That's right. What? Laughter. Yeah, that's right. Laughter. So we have Isaac, and then Isaac, um, Abraham sends his servant back to the land where, where they came from, and he's looking for a wife for Isaac. Do you remember? What was the name of the wife he finds for Isaac? Rebecca. Rebecca. So Isaac and Rebecca get happily married. And then, uh, let's pick up the story here in... Genesis chapter 25, verse 19. This is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begat Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, his wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Paddan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. Now, Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his plea and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But... 
the children struggled together within her. And she said, if all is well, why am I like this? Can you imagine that? This Rebecca, she's pregnant and she's got these two babies, these twins in her womb, and they're wrestling inside of her. And she's going, if everything's okay, what is going on inside my womb? Imagine that. So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, this is key. Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other. And the older shall serve the younger. Now verse 24. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out. And his hand took hold of Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. And Esau, that's, that means hairy, and Jacob means heel grabber, which also means deceiver or supplanter. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. Now, I mean, just notice, Isaac and Rebekah got married when Isaac was 40 years old. Now they just had their first children at age 60 for Isaac. They had to wait a long time. Um, but these two boys come out, and who's the firstborn? Esau is. And Jacob is the younger. But what did the prophecy that God gave to Rebekah say? Who's going to serve whom? Or the, the flip of that. Yeah. Exactly. The older. Yes. Yes, that comes up too. The older is going to serve the younger. Hmm. Okay, so that's interesting. So the boys grow up. This is verse 27. The boys grew. Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a mild man. He was, as we might call it, an avid indoorsman, dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So we see right off the bat, there's some familial issues going off. Um, the parents are playing favorites. Isaac loves Esau because he's an outdoorsman and a hunter. Rebekah loves their son, though, Jacob, because he's an indoorsman. And so that's going to cause some issues in a family if the parents are playing favorites. There's going to be some major insecurities for the kids. Um, And we see that all throughout Jacob and Esau's lives. So Jacob, verse 29, Jacob cooks a stew. He's in there cooking. Esau comes in from the field because he's been hunting and he's weary. Look at verse 30. And Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with that same red stew. You notice that's the second time red has come up in this narrative. Feed me with that same red stew, for I am weary. He's like, I'm about to die. I just need some soup. Therefore, his name was called Edom. So see, you didn't even have to know Hebrew to remember that his name meant red. You just had to be able to remember Genesis 25, 30. So his name is called Edom, or red, because he wants this red stew that Jacob gives him. So Jacob, remember, he's the heel grabber, the deceiver. He's like, I've got a pretty good scheme. Look, he says, sell me your birthright today. So Esau says, look, I'm about to die. What's the birthright to me? The birthright, that's the, that's the right to the double portion of the inheritance that the older person got. Remember that? They had the right to rule in the family. It was a very important thing. Back in the day, it was pretty, pretty special to be the, the firstborn. So Esau says, it's worthless to me. I'm about to die. So Jacob said, swear to me today. 
So he swore to him, sold his birthright to Jacob, and Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose, and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. And you see, there's this tension that's just growing. It started in Rebekah's womb, Esau and Jacob wrestling. Now they're outside the womb, and Jacob's deceiving Esau, steals his birthright. Esau despises his brother. And then, you know the story, later on, Jacob then steals the blessing from, from Esau. Remember that? This is down in chapter 27. Because Isaac gets old. Now, remember, who did God say was going to serve whom? That's it. The older would serve the younger. But Isaac, who is his favorite son? Esau, who is the oldest. So Isaac calls his son to him. He says, hey, my son, I want to bless you. Go get some game meat. Make me some soup. So Esau goes out. He starts hunting. But Rebekah heard. So she connives with her son, Jacob. She says, Jacob, put on some goat skin and I'll make some stew and you can take it into your dad. And trick him. Make him think you're Esau so that you can steal Esau's blessing. Now, who should Isaac have been blessing in the first place if he was going to listen to God? Jacob. But he want, he's trying to outsmart God. Hmm. So you know the story. Jacob goes in. Isaac blesses him. And let's read that blessing down in verse 27. And he, Jacob, came near and kissed him, and he smelled the smell of his clothing and blessed him and said... Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field, which the Lord has blessed. Therefore, may God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you, and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren, and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Notice this last sentence. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be those who bless you. Does that sound familiar? Did we hear that at all? Back in Genesis 12, right? The Abrahamic covenant. So Isaac reiterates that Abrahamic covenant now to his son Jacob. He says, those who curse you will be cursed. Those who bless you will be blessed. Then you know the story. Esau comes back and he's like, hey, I'm here to be blessed. And Isaac says, I already gave it. And who are you? So drop down now in verse 39. So Esau lifts up his voice. He weeps. He says, father, don't you have any blessing you can give me left? All that Isaac has left to give is this, verse 39. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. And it shall come to pass when you become restless that you shall break his yoke from your neck. So now Esau is really mad. Um, Rebekah sends him away to um, Laban's house, and that's where Jacob meets his wives. Rachel and Leah. Remember that? So that's back where the whole story starts, this conflict between Jacob and Esau. Esau just hates Jacob, his brother. But they're both promised they're going to become great nations. And we know that they do. Israel and Edom. Um, Now, if we fast forward, another plot twist in the story. Now they're both great nations. Israel is down in Egypt Remember that? They're down in Egypt and they've been slaves there. Remember the Exodus? Moses leads them out of Egypt. He's leading them to the promised land. But on their way, Numbers chapter four, sorry, Numbers chapter 20, verses 14 through 20, give us, um, they give us some insight into the relationship. 
Numbers chapter 20, verse 14. Moses sent messengers from Kadesh unto the king of Edom. Thus says your brother Israel, you know all the travail that has befallen us, how our fathers went down into Egypt, and we've dwelt in Egypt a long time, the Egyptians vexed us and our fathers. When we cried unto the Lord, he heard our voice, and an angel has brought us forth out of Egypt. And behold, we're in Kadesh, a city in the uttermost of your border. Let us pass, I pray you, through your country. We will not pass through the fields or through the vineyards, neither will we drink of the water of the wells. We'll go by the king's highway, which interestingly, the king's highway was a very important highway in um, antiquity, and it cut straight through the land of Edom. He says, we'll not turn to the right hand nor to the left until we've passed through your borders. And Edom said unto them, you shall not pass by me, lest I come out against you with the sword. What did Isaac predict? You will live by the, by the sword. And the children of Israel said unto him, we'll go by the highway. Um, if, we, if our cattle drink of your water, we'll pay for it. I will only, without doing anything else, go through on my feet. And he said, you shall not go through. So Edom refuses to give his brother Jacob passage. So you see the conflicts only growing as they become mightier and mightier nations. And then, let's see, where should we go? Let's go to Psalm 137. Let's go to Psalm 137. <clears throat> because with that backstory in mind, we know that there was some conflict. Um, oh, here's the map I meant to show you when we were just talking about that. They come out of Egypt, they go down through the Sinai Peninsula, and then they're coming up, and they're at Kadesh, and they want to go through Edom to pass so that they could get up here and go across the Jordan River into Israel, but Edom won't let them go through their land. So just bear that in mind. There's the map. But Psalm 137. This is a psalm. It's a psalm while Israel is in captivity in Babylon, specifically Judah is in captivity in Babylon. Remember, we reviewed this a long time ago in our Understanding Scripture series. Israel was the northern kingdom. Judah was the kingdom in the south. Remember, they split. Jeroboam became king in Israel in the north. Rehoboam became king in the south. Do you remember that a little bit? And the northern kingdom of Israel, they fell around 722 B.C. to the Assyrians. But then the southern kingdom of Judah held out about another 140 years until 580. Well, is that 140. I can't count that high. 180. No, it's, it's about 200 years, almost. I can't count that high, you guys. They held out a long time. So Judah then falls in 586. Now Judah is in captivity, and they write this song. Uh, verse 1, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, yea, we wept. And so they're weeping, they're singing this song of the Lord's, but the Babylonians are taunting them. They're saying, sing the Lord's song. And they say, how can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Verse 4. But then look at verse 7. Remember, O Lord, against the sons of Edom, the day of Jerusalem, who said, raise it. That means to destroy it, to pillage it, to destroy it all the way down to the ground, to its very foundation. O daughter of Babylon, who are to be destroyed. Happy the one who repays you as you have served us. Happy the one who takes and dashes your little ones against the rock. Did you hear that last line of that psalm? That's some pretty powerful judgment against Babylon and against Edom who assisted them in the destruction of Jerusalem. Did you follow that? Happy is the one who does what? Takes your little ones and throws them against the rocks. That's pretty serious. But that's the judgment coming 
for Edom because they helped Babylon destroy their brother Jacob. So did you follow that storyline? How we go from brothers in the womb and there's conflict every step of the way for the brothers and then for the nations that descend from them. Are you all following me? You getting tired? Let's finish one little section here and we'll call it quits. So also Judah was going to receive this oracle as well. So Edom would be the audience. Judah and the house of Jacob. Think about that. They're outside of their land. They're discouraged because the promise God had made to them was that they would be able to have this land as an inheritance forever. So they're struggling because is God not powerful enough to give us the land? And we can talk more about it as we go through the book of Obadiah. But God had actually predicted that exile would happen if Israel would not obey God. He predicted it back in Leviticus 26 as well as Deuteronomy 28, if I'm getting that right. I was trying to find it in my notes. I can't find it. 26? Oh, I can't see it. We can double check that after we finish. But, or you can double check it while we, while we finish. Okay, so we have our audience. Israel's struggling. But then the last thing we, do, we did want to talk about, we talked about the date. Let me just show you a picture of what Edom looks like. These are the mountains of Edom. Here's another picture of them. So you're looking out over uh, the valley and the hills in the distance are these mountains of Edom. Remember where he talks about you ones who dwell up in the rocks in the high place. You're arrogant and I'm going to cast you down. This is where they lived, up in the mountains, in strongholds, mountain refuges. A pretty, uh, pretty guarded place, a safe place for them. It looks like Nevada. It, it does look a little like Nevada, doesn't it? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> See? So we talked about the date. It's mid-500s B.C., sometime around the destruction of Jerusalem. And then let's just talk just a little bit about the theology that we see in the book. We see God's justice, but also God's mercy. So if you, if you still have your Bibles back in Obadiah, we see the justice all throughout, how Edom mistreated her brother, his brother Jacob. And because they mistreated Jacob, what did God say would happen to those who mistreat Jacob? Justice. Yeah, justice. They would be cursed. And so they're receiving what God had already promised um, hundreds of years before. But then we also see that judgment is coming not just on Edom, but God's justice will be satisfied upon all the nations. That's verse 15. And it's retributive justice. Who knows what retributive justice means? Payback. Exactly. It's payback, essentially. <laughs> Not revenge. But it's, it's, the, it's the lex talionis, if you will. It's the law of an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. So, that's verse 15. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your reprisal shall return upon your own head. Your reward will return upon your own head. But then we also get this picture of God's mercy. So God's justice, but also God's mercy. Because he says saviors are coming to Mount Zion to judge the mountain of Zion, of Esau. 
sorry, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. That's down in verse 21. So we get this picture of God's mercy that he is going to restore Jerusalem. He's going to restore Israel to her land. It's fascinating. But we get this dual picture of God's justice and God's mercy. And it's supposed to help inspire in our hearts an awe of God, an understanding of his justice, that as we do, so also it will be done to us. The day of the Lord is coming. But also, it's to help us stand in awe of God's mercy. God's mercy and his covenant faithfulness toward Israel. But also then, in application, God's mercy and his covenant faithfulness, his keeping of his promises toward us. What thoughts or comments do you have as we finish it out here? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's true. Yeah, just imagine how much better it would have turned out for Edom. Not too long after this was written, um, Edom started to decline in the 600s BC. Their nation started to decline. They were no longer like a world superpower, if you will. And then by the 400s BC, they had actually come into um, captivity and exile to the Persians and the Nabataean Arabs came and inhabited their land. So because of Edom's violence against his brother Jacob, just a couple hundred years later, they're removed from their very own land. John? It's fair. They have a common ancestry, don't they? Yeah. Any other thoughts as we finish it out here?